This episode is brought to you by iShares. Their ETFs invest in the trends and tech we all keep hearing about. We will explain more in a bit, but first, let's get into the episode. Anyone that's looking for a mentor out there, don't be afraid to reach out. I think we make it a bigger deal than it is, than it has to be. The worst thing that can happen is you don't hear back, and that is not such a bad thing. Welcome to After Five-ish, a bonus series where we take a break from our regularly scheduled show for quick chats with pros who can help you live a smarter work life. You ever meet somebody in passing or hear of someone and think, I wish I could ask them about their job? Us too. With After Five-ish, we're calling those people up to get the best bits of career advice they can share. Okay, on to the show. Today, our guest is Gargi Pell Chowdhury. She's the head of iShares Investment Strategy at the asset management firm BlackRock. And as an immigrant woman of color, she didn't see a lot of people who looked like her when she first stepped onto the trading floor two decades ago. For Gargi, climbing the ranks meant working with and seeking guidance from people with backgrounds that were very different to her own. So today we're talking to her about finding mentors, growing your network, and getting the best possible advice as you build your career. Gargi, so glad you can join us. Welcome to After Five-ish. I love this. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here. So before we get into the conversation... We like to warm up with a lightning round. Quick questions, quick answers, so we can get to know you better. You ready? Love it. Let's go. Okay, I like that energy. What was the very first job you had? I was a phonathon operator in college, so called people and asked for money. Think about doing that in an accent one month after moving to a new country. And do you think about that as like best experience, like training experience, or like worst? <laughs> Worst. Worst. Put me off calling people for life. What's the rate of amount of people that hung up on you versus engaged? I would say the 1% engagement. Thankfully, the rest of the career didn't go quite like that. <laughs> what is the most used app on your phone? Strava and Peloton. What's the last show you binge watch? Inventing Anna. So good, it's right? So good. So I heard that you have run a few marathons and also competed in some Ironman competitions. How long was the last run that you just did? So I ran this weekend. It was about six miles. So like just for fun, six miles? Just for fun, six miles. I'm going to start training for a marathon soon. I'm running a marathon in Berlin in September. Gargi, we have such opposite skill sets. (laughs) What's your favorite place to travel? I'd say home. So I grew up in Calcutta, India, and I moved here when I was young. So favorite place is to go back home to Calcutta. Love it. Okay. We're going to jump into really the meat of your career, which Mm -hmm. I'm really curious, like, how did you decide you were going to go into finance? You know, it's not an industry known for being especially welcoming to women where you're going to have a lot of women like pave the way for you. What led you down that path? 
I studied accounting and psychology in college. And honestly, I thought I was going to go into the field of psychology. And then when I was a junior in college, I interned on Wall Street. I interned at Merrill Lynch. And I fell in love. I loved it. I loved numbers. But I also loved the economic side of my classwork, my coursework. And just being able to see all the things that you study about in a classroom come to life and impact your uh, day-to-day at work was so empowering. It was so powerful. So I'd say I didn't really at that age, you know, you're 20 or whatever. I didn't really think about, oh, is this a field that has women? I really thought about, is this something that I could enjoy doing? And I did. I fell in love with it. And so I came back. My internship offer became a full-time offer. And back then, I'll say that this was 20 years ago, my analyst class was 50% female and 50% male. So there was diversity, at least at that analyst level. How have you seen things change since you started? Yeah, so I'd say so much, so much change. I, uh, you know, obviously I talked about the fact that 50% of my analyst class was female. But the second part of that story is, unfortunately, after you looked at the first couple of years, the rest of the ranks became a lot more sparse when it came to female representation. You you guys mentioned earlier that I didn't have role models that looked exactly like me. And, you know, there was just a severe lack of representation. Now I look to the, you know, the trading floor that I work at now, and I look across people that I work with now, and it is a lot better. A lot more women slowly are entering the world of finance. I would say there's a lot of focus from larger businesses on having a more diverse, a more equitable and a more inclusive workspace. And that's a mainstream conversation. That is a business objective. So I think that's a huge change. No one was talking about DEI conversations, not as a business objective, even 10 years ago. On the flip side, I would say that there are still, there is still a huge lack of women in investment roles. That was certainly the case when I got onto that Merrill Lynch trading floor in 2001. And unfortunately, women in investment roles uh, are still severely lacking. And hopefully in the next 20 years, we will see a lot more of women as portfolio managers, women running money, women sort of investing for themselves and running businesses. Knowing that the retention of women in this industry is really an area of, of improvement, to say the least, what would you say to, to a woman starting out in finance now who is maybe part of a class that might be 60% women, but what would you say to her now? I would say that this is an amazing job for women. I think that what people underappreciate is how great of a career this can be. It really rewards intellectual curiosity. And women tend to succeed here, you know, when they stay in because they have good analytical skills that are needed. They have good communication skills. They have good sort of written skills. And we find study after studies show that women are better risk adjusted. Women do have better risk adjusted returns. Women can, over studies, have shown that women can be better portfolio managers, better managers of risk. And the pay is really competitive. So I would tell an 18 to a 22-year-old person that's listening that please consider a career in finance, a career in asset management. We, the women, cannot wait to welcome you here. And we want to see more of you. And we can't wait to mentor you and guide the way. So I loved our convo with Gargi Palchattery about her career. And it made us really curious about what she's been doing at iShares these days. 
So iShares, it's really interesting. They've identified these mega trends that are changing the way we live and work. And iShares Megatrend ETFs can give you access to like a basket of companies focused on these tech innovations and transformations. Bottom line is that it's making it easy to get in on the investments they think your future self would want to come back and tip you off on. I don't know about you guys, but things that make my future self happy, I feel like are, are good ways to invest my time right now. So if you want to learn more about investing in megatrends, check out iShares.com. That's iShares.com for more info. And it's spelled I-S-H-A-R-E-S.com. So let's talk about mentorship because, you know, you've spoken about how it was challenging not to have a role model earlier in your career. How did you find your mentors and what advice do you have for our listeners that are seeking out that mentorship, but don't really know how to go about it? When it comes to finding mentors, I'd say cast a wide net, right? Because Indra Nui's book, taught me this, that you don't choose your mentors, your mentors choose you. And there is some truth to that. Not every mentorship relationship works out. If you get set up with a mentor, you may not actually immediately have a lot in common with them. Sometimes mentorships happen to happen organically. And sometimes the ones that are more forced don't work out. So cast a wide net, reach out to people. If you heard someone speak at a panel or if someone spoke at a meeting and and what they talked about really resonated with you or you saw someone on TV, there is no harm in reaching out and telling people that, hey, I thought you were amazing. I love that you said X, Y, Z. So make it very specific. And I'd love to talk to you more about ABC. So be very specific about why you're reaching out and what what particular characteristic about them made you want to reach out and what you're looking for. I'd say that, you know, what I did was cast a wide net, like I had mentioned earlier. If I had looked my whole life for a woman that looked exactly like me to be my mentor, I would not have found that necessarily. So, you know, there are all types of people that will want to help you, especially now, especially in finance and asset management. I think we're really trying to diversify the field. Anyone that's looking for a mentor out there, I tell you, number one, don't be afraid to reach out. I think we make it a bigger deal than it is, than it has to be. So number one, don't be afraid to reach out to people. The worst thing that can happen is you don't hear back. And that is not such a bad thing. The second thing I would say is that when you do reach out, have a plan. So when you're uh, meeting someone over Zoom or WebEx or coffee, have a plan about what you want to speak to them about. Like, is there an ask? What is that ask? And then keep in touch. So getting that first coffee or the first WebEx meeting is easy, but I would say the harder part is being systematic about your approach to mentorship, as systematic as you would be to any other aspect of your life or career. So really, if that means establishing a spreadsheet of who you've caught up with when, do that. But keep in touch with the mentors or the people that that you have found inspiring along the way. And that has to be a more regular cadence. It can't be this one-time coffee situation. And then the last thing that I would say is you also have to bring something to the mentor-mentee relationship. So whether it is a piece of data that you find interesting, whether it's your particular point of view that your mentor wouldn't find somewhere else, it's your own vision of the world, it's a Twitter thread that you read that you think is incredible. It's a book recommendation that you have. Bring something so that it becomes more of a two-way relationship. 
I love that you talk about keeping track of, of your contacts. In our book, How to Skim Your Life, we talk about the stalker spreadsheet is what we call it. So we're big fans of that. I love that. I think one of the things that when, you know, I've tried to mentor people in my life and, and they've said, but I emailed this person and I, I didn't hear back. And I always say like, well, they're probably busy. Like try them again. <laughs> Don't take it personally. How do you kind of respond to, to that? If, if maybe you miss the email, if somebody's reaching out to you, or maybe when somebody says, I reached out to, to somebody I would like to have be my mentor and I didn't hear back. This goes back to casting that wide net. Try to have as many people in your corner, whether they're peer mentors, whether they're more senior mentors, or whether they are the sponsors of your career, which obviously we know that there's that big difference between having the mentor and the sponsor. When you cast a wide net, you're just increasing your chances of success, right? But obviously there are going to be cases where you don't hear back. And chalk it down to busyness and not something personal to you. And I think that's the hard part, right? When something's happening to us, it's very difficult not to personalize it. You think that it's your email or something about what you wrote, but chances are that it has nothing to do with you, but the 8,000 other things that are going on in the person's life that you emailed. So I would say try again. And the worst that can happen again is that you don't hear back. Now that you are where you are in your career, how do you elevate the mentees in your life? What's it like on the other side? I, I realize now that I have access that perhaps some of the people that I mentor don't. So it's up to me to open up my Rolodex, if you will, and number one, make introductions where possible. So a lot of time it is making connections. Number two, it is actually giving people an opportunity to put their best foot forward, to present or to showcase a piece of work that they have worked on or a presentation that uh, they wouldn't otherwise get to do. So I have the ability to open that door to them. And then the other thing, and I guess this is sort of a micro sponsorship or micro mentorship, is when you hear someone in a room making a point that perhaps is a little bit more junior to you, sort of reiterating that point, bringing it back and saying, saying, hey, I just heard ABC make this point and I think it's really important. Let's just go back to that. So calling out their name, giving them that uh, credibility that they brought up this point. So that micro sponsorship that can happen in so many varieties. I just gave an example of that, but it's the broader opportunity sets. It's the using my network to give my mentees uh, access to my network, but it's also examples of micro sponsorship and micro mentorship. Is there a certain piece of advice you find yourself giving time and time again to your mentees or other women? Yes. So when it comes to women in general, I would say the one thing that I tell them to do all the time is to invest in the markets. And while I know this is about mentorship, I also think what we're really trying to talk about is a way of achieving equality. And mentorship is, is, is a way to doing that. But there really isn't any greater way, in my opinion, of achieving equality than sort of embracing your own financial outcomes. And I would also say that I, one of the things that I talk to my mentees a lot about is running your own race. It's so easy to look across the room or, you know, compare yourself to other people and be like, oh, but why am I not doing as well as X, Y, Z? And I would just say that it's your own race. You're going to have your own peaks and your own troughs. Don't compare yourself to others. Easier said than done, but really keep your head in your race because you train for your race only. Kargi. 
One question that we love to to ask everybody when we wrap is, who is somebody else we should book on the show? Okay, so I would love to hear from Janet Yellen. She is uh, my superhero. If you can have her, that would be amazing. Indra Nui, ex-CEO of PepsiCo. And then closer to home, Anne Ackerley. She runs our retirement business. So those are three people that I think would be amazing on your show. Those are three great suggestions. Gargi, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and, and our skimmers. We really appreciate it. Sure thing. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And we've also got another podcast, Pop Cultured with The Skim, where each week we're covering the pop culture moment everyone's talking about. New episodes drop every Tuesday.